Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Face Podcast. Here we're doing part number 26. Nope, it's actually part 25. I believe of the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist series with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And I'm here with myself and Laurel and Jennifer. Laurel and Jennifer, please say hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's been a little while. I think we released the last <laughs> podcast in August, if I remember right. So yes, I think that's right. We've been a little, little out of touch, Remiss. but we're back. We're going to do three <laughs> questions tonight, uh, today, whenever you're re- listening to this. But before we get to those questions, Jennifer, do you have any announcements or anything that you'd like to talk about before we get to the questions? Sure. Uh, Well, depending on when we release this, we are doing a Christmas sale on all of my online courses. And so um, we don't do sales very often. And so it's a good opportunity if you are interested in them to uh, purchase them as a gift for, you know, for yourself and your spouse or for a family member. Uh, But uh, anyway, 20% off and then you get additional percentages off if you buy more than one course. So... Yeah. All right. Yeah. So those sales come up. I think it's, we've been doing this a couple of years. It's Christmas and Valentine's is pretty much it is your chance. Pretty typical. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll definitely get Mm -hmm. this out well before Christmas. So you have time to do that. Um, So with that, we've got a couple questions. Laurel, why don't you take the first one, which is a short one. I'll do the second and then you can do the third. Excellent. All right, here is question one. My husband will soon be deploying overseas for a year. How can we maintain intimacy and our sexual connection while miles apart, communicating only via letters, phone calls, and occasional video chats? Okay, good. I mean, first, I think it's hard to not, you know, if this is a part of your relationship that you really enjoy, just the physicality, or you like being able to be with one another, it, it can be hard kind of no matter what you do, because you just don't have the physical presence and the physical comfort of being with one another. But it also is an opportunity to, I think, in some ways, expand your sexual repertoire or expand your way of being together um, and sort of expressing different aspects of your romance and attraction for one another if you want to. And so you know, I know that people can do different things like, um, you know, write letters um, that are more sexually explicit, letters that are more expressive of the romance and eroticism between you um, that allows you to just express a part of yourself that you might not normally uh, kind of uh, manifest or make evident between you in just the day-to-day of being together. Um, couples can also do things like, um, and I would really recommend you figure out a way to really secure this electronically so that you don't have your, uh, privacy, uh, in any way, um, intruded upon, but you can find ways to send videos of yourselves, to send pictures of yourself, to, um, you know, you know, basically be more sexually explicit with one another through the medium of, of photography and, and videos. And so you can do this and 
share your sexuality with one another in a slightly different way that I think just kind of expands your sense of self and your sense of who you are as a couple, or at least it can do that. And uh, I don't think it's, it's something that's really f- as enjoyable in the long term is really just being physically present with one another. But it does, I think, have the opportunity to kind of encourage and foster and expand your sense of your sexual interactions and your and kind of what you know about yourselves. I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying. I don't know if Laurel and Brian you have questions about what I'm saying on that. Uh, <laughs> You're like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. It's not something I've personally thought about because I haven't had to deal with it long term before. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, my husband and I, because of travel schedules a few years ago, were uh, separated for about three weeks. And, and so, you know, we were fine and, and preoccupied for the first part of that. But then as we got so further into the time, it's just, we're really missing each other. And, um, and so it, it, it opened up this opportunity for us to, or I don't even, I didn't really think of it as an opportunity. It was just in the longing and the missing of one another that, you know, we started expressing aspects of ourselves that we hadn't really known were there before. And um, I know my, you know, my husband, who's not a very hedonistic person, he's not a very verbally expressive person, you know, started saying to me two weeks in just like how much he missed me and how much, how grateful he was for our marriage and how much he missed me sexually and so on. you know, just for him to be so honest and expressive was just kind of like melted my heart. It was very, you know, exciting just having this conversation on the phone. And, you know, then that later that night, I just decided I would do something I'd never done before, which is I decided to send him a picture of myself. And I was kind of shy about it at first because I'd never done this. And it was a rather modest photo at first. (laughs) And, uh, so I sent it to him and he was like, no, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, send me more, you know. <laughs> so, And so I, you know, and so I did. And, and it was just, it, I guess my point is, is this was like a very exciting thing to do this because I was experiencing myself differently. I was experiencing him differently. He started writing poetry and love notes to me like expressing himself in ways that wouldn't have happened in the day-to-day of our lives and I felt like I was dating him again it's like I was experiencing a different level of excitement and novelty and newness and appreciation for who each of us was and just a kind of deeper level of eroticism than I had even experienced at that point and it was so exciting when he came back home because of this expansion of ourselves that was happening in the course of of expressing ourselves through different mediums. And so, you know, I think it's much harder if, if you're going to be overseas for months and months. I think that's it's a harder bridge to gap in a lot of ways. But I do think it kind of opens up another way to be intimate, another way to express yourself. And, and so I think it can really have value if you let it and you're really figuring out how do we really care for each other and look after one another and express our love and attraction to one another without being able to be physically present. I mean, I think if you want to do it, you, you find a way to do it. 
So, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I okay. think it, it's For- definitely a way to make something new and it makes your relationship novel uh, because you have to think about doing things differently than it, it would be more memorable than. Yes, I think that's for sure. And I also think what's really, you know, basically eroticism in a relationship is off, is linked to novelty. And the more stale a relationship gets, the less, generally speaking, the less eroticism is, is, that, that is in the relationship. And we tend in our relationships to, to kind of dumb it down, keep it safe, keep it where we know how to do the relationship, self-protect. It, even though we call it an intimate relationship, we, we are, do a very good job of sort of minimizing the exposure of parts of ourselves that we haven't exposed before or don't, haven't even exposed to ourselves. And so the more room there is in a marriage to expand your sense of self and to try new things and to grow in new ways, the more people report happiness in their marriages. Because we are beings who like to grow and expand ourselves as, and we also like to be in connection, right? So if you can do both things, have the connection of the marriage and expand your sense of self, those are the happy, most happily married people. And so around sexuality, because it's a much more sensitive part of our humanity and a more vulnerable part, we tend to really dumb it down and keep it safe. Um, we're afraid of it often. And so the risk of that, of course, is that you kind of snuff out all the passion and the interest. So what I think was partly why this was so exciting is not only did we miss each other and there was an open acknowledgement of how much we value each other, which was sort of fundamental to this, but there was an expanding of our sense of ourselves as sexual beings and a, and a, and a sense of being able to really see one another, not just as the mother or the father of your children, but as like a man and a woman. And, you know, like fundamentally acknowledging one another's separateness and one another's sexuality. And this is really at the core of passion. And it's easy to, to let go of that and lose track of that in the day-to-day of life. And so one thing about changing the way in which you're together is it allows you to see each other in a new way if you let it. It allows you to start um, not just seeing each other as familiar and familial, uh, you know, part of the furniture, but instead really seeing you each other as you saw one another when you first started dating. Um, so looking for ways to do that in your relationship, whether or not you're separate, is really fundamental to creating a good relationship a good sexual relationship. That's I actually the the one that I had it just reminds me of I think we've talked I think we've talked about it before in our many sessions um here of uh the importance of recognizing separateness um for eroticism so that it doesn't just turn into we just kind of mush into this one thing together but mm-hmm that at times there, you know, I find that too. And when there are are opportunities for separateness, I would say strong separateness where we're separate because we're, we're separated doing things that make us feel who we are. Um, not just separated physically. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but when I feel that separateness, I I notice too, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's why I'm attracted to you. Yes. Because we are different people. Um, and we choose to come together. Whereas I know sometimes if, things are routine it can just be like we are this mush yep yeah absolutely so that that's right the strong sense of individuality 
that doesn't interfere with your ability to be together, right? But a, a strong individuality within the context of marriage is a really fundamental part of attraction. This is another version of it, right? And you're willing to take risks, like sending that first picture. It's like, it's strange that it feels risky. You know, it's not like he'd never seen me naked before. <laughs> but it still feels risky to kind of, you know, show your sexuality in a different way. And um, yet it can be so, so gratifying to feel so personally known and accepted. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to question number two. It's a little bit longer. <clears throat> this questioner says, thank you for your podcast, and I have learned a lot by listening. Here is my question. My wife and I have a great relationship. We get along great, see eye to eye on most things, enjoy each other's company very much, and also have a good sex life. There is a lot of love in our marriage and mutual gratitude and respect. We've been married for over 20 years. We have sex frequently and have mutual orgasms frequently, which is a tremendous blessing. We explore different positions, approaches, times of day, etc. to keep our sex life fresh. Sometimes when we try new things, such as using a vibrator, getting loud, watching my wife self-pleasure, or me saying some terms out loud for body parts that could be considered slang terms or inappropriate, I feel guilty afterwards. I'm trying to figure this out. My wife does not feel guilty about it and has no complaints. I talk openly about it with her and we talk through it. I think I'm fine and then we may try something new or different or out of the box and I might feel guilty again. I'm struggling with knowing if this guilt is a sign that I should not do these kinds of things even though they are really fun and pleasurable or if I just need to loosen up. I would love your thoughts. Thanks. Okay, that's a great question. I think that... Um, you know, something I tend to focus on a lot when people ask me these kinds of questions is, is not, uh, what is the specific behavior? People will often say, is this okay? Is this okay? And I'm not as much of a person who says you should never do X or uh, always do Y. I'm much more interested in what is being created. What is the meaning of what you're doing and what's being created or destroyed for that matter through what you're doing? What's the actual impact of it on yourself and on the people that you um, have a responsibility to or the people that you love? Because that's, you know, as I've said before, it's not the position of your body in sex that matters. It's what's in your heart. It's what you're in fact doing. Because it's not about missionary position, for example. It's about what you in fact are doing in missionary position. Is you, are you full of of love and care for the person you're with, or are you self-serving at the other's expense, for example? And so what's in your heart and what are you creating? Now you can say, well, I don't know, could it be good in my heart if I'm using slang terms or I'm acting crass or uh, being loud? Um, because I think we internalize without it ever really being said, I think we internalize a kind of notion or culture around sexuality where if it's not hushed tones and only thinking about your eternal covenants with the one you're with, then somehow that's debaucherous or that's somehow less than. It's not sacred. It's not good. It's not okay. 
And my view of what makes something sacred is not about volume or about uh, whether or not there is uh, only loving words being expressed. It has a lot more to do, again, with what you're creating as a couple and how it impacts you as a couple and whether or not it makes you stronger and better friends and more partnered and with more love and appreciation for who you are or if it undermines that. And this is really, really important because, again, two people could do the same thing, but it has very different impacts because of what it means in that couple. And so... um I think that the guilt you're feeling is more of an anxiety that's a, it's a kind of a leftover around what your view is of what a righteous, good man would be doing in sex, not a function of how it's, what its real effect is. Because your wife is saying, I have no trouble with this. Like, I like this. This is great. And um, this, this I really enjoy. And so I think you have to really think about, you know, on the one hand, we, we talk about, we are that we might have joy, but I think we often feel like, well, we shouldn't really have joy. We should always be a little bit guilty and anxious and minimalistic in a say, in, in a sense, in the way that we function in the world, that we shouldn't really feel free. And I think the more you get clear about who God is and what goodness is and how it's created, the more free you feel able to be. You're not worrying all the times about the shoulds and shouldn'ts and the do's and don'ts. You you have a kind of confidence in the integrity and the full decency of what you're doing and creating, and it allows you a kind of freedom to really love and be loved and to desire and be desired and to have real freedom and joy in your life. And I think that kind of sexual freedom, it's anchored in your integrity. It's anchored in the goodness of what you're creating. But it's free because you feel the freedom to really know and be known and to really bring your full eroticism to bear. And I think that's deeply sacred. Like, as some of you who've listened to the podcast might feel like I'm saying this ad nauseum because I say this a lot, but I, I really feel like in our theology that we have this really beautiful theology that the body is fundamental to our spiritual progression. It is not... Um, it doesn't interfere with it. Other interpretations of Christianity say it interferes, but our view is that it doesn't interfere. And in fact, it's necessary to our understanding godliness. And I think that our sexuality is fundamental to that, that we all want to love and be loved, to do desire and be desired all the way through, like that, that our full body, that we can find full acceptance and welcome. And so this ability to bring our quirky, weird eroticism there, as long as it's not destructive, right? As long as it's not an eroticism that's about doing harm uh, to ourselves or anyone else, that the weirdness of our eroticism can really find acceptance in a loving partnership and, and freedom and fun. It's a kind of grown-up play. And that it doesn't, that part of it is that you don't take yourselves too seriously and you see the beauty and the wonder that's in that level of acceptance of yourself and of the, of the other. And, you know, sexuality is weird, you know. It doesn't really fit the rules of, of other forms of interaction. And so sometimes that's hard to get our heads around exactly. 
but I think that there's the quirkiness of it uh, is part of what makes it so special when you find, when you are with someone that you really have acceptance with and can really bring your whole self to. So I think this is old guilt. I think it's um, false tradition guilt. And uh, especially with your wife saying, you know, um, I like this. Um, she knows the positiveness of it and likes it and it impacts her positively. So she's telling you what you need to know, I think. This question just reminded me of a conversation I was having with a non-Mormon friend um, who who um, is studying to be an intimacy coordinator on on film sets and on uh, you know on theater where they they help coordinate intimate scenes. So we were talking about some of these topics um, and a sex advice therapist <laughs> that he follows had actually found that there's very similar questions in the non LDS community about is this particular act okay? Is this act weird? And mm -hmm. this response was the same is that it's not the act, it's what what is happening in the relationship with you and the other person or with you and yourself. Um, it was always mm -hmm. about consent, about respect, about what is being created and developed here. Um, mm -hmm. There there were very, you know, it wasn't it was almost never the act itself um, mm -hmm. that was the problem. It was what is happening and what is going on with you and with your partner in this act. Mm -hmm. And that was, and, and that just, I just struck me that that is something universal that we're all afraid of dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Like even in marriage and family therapy programs, right? Graduate school programs, you know, it may be different now, but when I was going to school, they wouldn't have sexuality courses. They wouldn't have courses on basically helping couples with issues around sexuality. And so it, it's not just members of the church that struggle with the questions of around eroticism. Eroticism is, is a hard part of the human experience to fully comprehend. And it is a, it is a vulnerable part of ourselves. And to share it with another person, our inhibition can be high and our self-doubt can be high. And, you know, we talk a lot about mutual consent. And of course, that's a bare minimum requirement, uh, I think. But then beyond that, is it a fun, is it an ex is it respectful ultimately, even if you're playing with disrespect as a theme, but you ultimately it is not disrespectful of the other person. It's it is a form of grown up play and respect in which both come out feeling a sense of joy and freedom and um, respect ultimately. And so, yeah, it's it's really how are we in relationship to one another? God cares about our hearts more than anything else. So what I was thinking is that we're kind of weird about sex. Uh, mm -hmm. There's other activities where we act in a very different way than we would like at the dinner table or at church. And yeah. we understand that it's a different context. And so it's perfectly fine when you're right. running a marathon to be breathing really hard and be really sweaty and, right. you know, just be sounding strange if you were doing that at the dinner table or in church. <laughs> and so we recognize, you know, if you're going for a 500 pound squat in a powerlifting competition, you're going to make lots of noise and right. you're, you have strange looks on your face. Right. And, and so you understand it's a different context. That's what you're supposed to do. If you're a coach, you're going to be yelling at your team to do what they're right. supposed to do in their game. Uh, right. But in sex, like we still have, like you had said in your uh, response, 
we use hushed tones and you know right. we're very uh mild mannered or whatever this yeah. idea of what a gentle lover should be that's like yeah. good sex and then everything else is it's uh, bad it's too bad it's too much yeah we've gone too mm -hmm. far mm -hmm. yeah and i just think that's not really what the human condition it, it, i mean i think you're absolutely right the context is everything and i think that when we're anxious about sexuality as many of us are we tend to not want to mature our view of sex we don't want to sort of grow it up and so we tend to kind of move to these sort of early ideas about what good sex should be rather than something that's i'm going to use this word and i can tell you if i want you to take it out but but something that can be almost it has an it, it kind of appeals more to the the animalistic part of ourselves and I, I don't mean that as a antithetical to spirituality i mean it's part of our spirituality it, it appeals to this embodied part of ourselves and we in church culture will sort of say well carnal means bad or lust means bad and what we conflate a carnal means embodied and lust means embodied desire so i don't like it when we use those words because it implies embodiment or embodied desire is inherently self-serving lust means inherently that's the contradiction you know that's the counterpoint to love and i think it's not a mature view of sex because we want our spouse to have embodied desire for us we want to have the carnality of sex because not self-serving but the embodiment of it the embodied version that that's what really really good sex is is there's a kind of freedom to let loose and feel a freedom with the other person and not worry about if the other person's going to be okay that you can be that free with one another uh that's like when you've hit the jackpot in your marriage that's celestial <laughs> because there's a kind of deep freedom and love and respect and desire what we all want but we're all afraid of too because it requires our development as people i feel taken to church <laughs> <laughs> okay good well i think yeah that was a good uh good question and good discussion on that uh idea uh so we've got one more and laurel this is yours final question indeed all right our last question here let me get to it <clears throat> dr fife i have been married for 19 years and we have a great sex life i'm a low desirability partner but have figured out how to keep my husband satisfied i've struggled with masturbating my whole life thanks to you i've overcome a lot of the shame associated with it and have embraced it as a part of my sexuality I thought getting married would take away my desire to masturbate, but that has not been the case. I believe it's not appropriate for masturbating to take the place of sexual experiences with my husband. That just seems selfish and feels wrong to me. So I don't allow myself to do it except after sex with my husband. It makes sex with him better, and he gets sex more often. Here's the thing. He doesn't know that I masturbate, and I don't want to tell him, because one, I still feel some level of shame about it and don't want him to know. Two, he would want in on it. And three, I just want to keep that part of my sexuality to myself. I enjoy it, and I think it makes sex with my husband better. 
and I really believe by sharing it, I would lose a part of my sexuality that I want to hold on to. I fear it would alter our sex life. I fear I would lose something, and so would we. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Is it okay to keep secrets like this in marriage, or am I justifying something that's actually wrong? Thank you so much for all you do. You're an incredible woman doing amazing work for so many people. I think that the person writing this question is is saying something that is probably really true for her, which is she feels like there's real value in kind of claiming this aspect of herself, which is part of her own sexuality. And she doesn't want to just turn it all over to the marriage because she feels like she'll lose a part of herself. And, And as I was talking about in the first question, I think it was the first question, yes, that in a good marriage, you don't turn it all over. I mean, we talk about becoming one. And a lot of times we we have this idea that this means that you are basically the same being, you're entangled with one another, there's no distinctions. And that's not what I think being one is about. You know, if you're the body of Christ, it's not that you're all the same, but that you're unified in purpose. And same with a marriage, that you kind of you, you're collaborative, you're capable of working together towards the same goals and same aspirations, uh, meaning same higher aspirations. But that doesn't mean you have the same talents or same gifts or do the same things. Um, that would be the most passionless, boring marriage if you basically mimicked one another in every sense. And so I think much like in a passionate marriage, just with the energy of passion in a marriage, there is a sense of two individuals who carry their own but they can walk side by side and create a really meaningful life together and they're contributing in their unique ways. And I think it's a fundamental part of sexuality too. It's not waiting for your spouse to legitimize your sexuality or, or basically uh, wake your sexuality up, but that you bring your sexual selves, your individuality to one another and share it with one another. So I, I think that you, the author of this question is right in that she's saying there's something here that I don't, I, I don't want to just forfeit it. But I think the, maybe the more important question in the question is not so much about whether or not I should tell this uh, because it kind of puts the question at the wrong level for me. I think the question is why, <clears throat> what is it about the marriage it feels to me like this person is not low desire. She's saying I'm the low desire partner, but she doesn't sound like a low desire woman. She sounds like a high desire woman who has this strong sense of sexuality, but she's low desire in this partnership. And to me, that is seems that there's something going on in the partnership that makes her low desire. And my sense is that she feels because of what she said is if I were to tell this to him, that then he would want in on it. And I may be wrong in my gut about this, but it feels a little bit like I don't feel like there's room for me to belong to me when I'm with him, that if I let him in on it, it starts to become part him and he wants to belong to it or be in on it. And then I don't feel the freedom to belong to myself anymore. And so this feels like why you prefer the solo experience is you feel more able to belong to yourself, something that we all want as human beings. But then when you share your sexuality, it becomes less you while you're with him. And this is not an uncommon problem. And when people feel that way, that there's not really room to be myself or to belong to my own feelings and desires, and uh, you know, that then you start to want to pull away or not be in the marriage or be you know, more distant in the marriage, more walled off in it. 
And that can be because you have an encroaching husband. It can also be because you have difficulty knowing what people want without feeling like it, without having it infect your sense of self and your desires, even if they are not being encroaching. And if you have difficulty kind of holding on to the legitimacy of your own desires and feelings and wants in the context of a marriage, in the context of knowing what your spouse wants, you're going to tend to distance from them. And if you do tend to distance because you have difficulty with that, then your spouse is going to often be more in pursuit and trying to get in on this privacy that they can feel from you. And then the more they try to get in on that, the more you can feel if you know, reassured you need to keep distance, right? And so these are, this is one of the patterns that often happens in relationships. And it sounds like this is a pattern for the two of you. Uh, and so I would just encourage you to think about what is it, if this is in fact true, what I'm saying, or this resonates with you, you know, what is it about this uh, dynamic where I don't, what would I lose exactly? And what do I feel like I can't sort of have for myself in this marriage? Meaning, why can't I basically let him know this is something that I like or do for myself without feeling like it would get infected? What's the infecting agent? Is that you feel like you can't hold its legitimacy for yourself? Or do you feel like he would then be unable to kind of let you have your aloneness in a sense or belong to yourself? Or would it be both things? both aspects, your difficulty with it and his. But I think that's the issue that needs to be addressed in the marriage. Because if it's addressed, then you feel more able to belong to yourself and be with the other person. It's not so much about, I, I have to keep it separate. I have to keep it private. There's paradoxically more ability to share and be open because you know you won't lose yourself in doing that. A lot of the times why we hide is because we don't believe we can belong to ourselves if we don't. And so it encourages our dishonesty. It's hard to be honest when you don't feel like you can hold on to the legitimacy of yourself in the context of relationships or knowing what other people might want from you. And so learning how to handle that tension of knowing your spouse and how they're different from you and what they want different things in you without having it undermine your ability to belong to yourselves, that's the work of creating a good marriage. It's, it's very much what I talk about in my, in my couples courses, on my online courses, is around how couples learn to navigate that tension and what they do often in the face of that tension that undermines intimacy and undermines passion and undermines trust. So this to me feels like this is not so much about do I have to tell as it is about uh, why are we a couple in which this can't be an open conversation and um, to navigate belonging to ourselves and one another more with greater ease than we currently are doing it? And one little follow-up question. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking about the, the circumstances where this can happen. Um, not, how did you word it? Um, where one partner, they're not good at navigating what other people want. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was wondering if you could explain what that means and why that would lead to this situation. So, uh, you know, so I was saying to a client recently that she needed too much for her husband to not have desires for her to figure out what her desires are. And that is to say she could track what he wanted, 
so readily and then it would make her somehow unable to figure out what she wanted because it would dysregulate her to know that he wanted something that she might disappoint you see what i mean so she she couldn't sort of figure out what she wants knowing when that he wanted something because she felt so much pressure inside of herself to gratify any want he has and so she'd either gratify it and resent it or pull away and feel guilty or defensive and that kind of struggle you know there's no winning in that you either comply or defy and self-defining is something that we as human beings must do in the face of other pressures if you're in a relationship you're going to be pressured because you're going to be with children or parents or a partner who's going to want different things from you than you want to give them that's just the fabric of relationships and if that's so distressing to you that knowing what you want becomes a secondary issue you're going to have a hard time really belonging to yourself in your relationships thanks that clarified that yeah for me this is a tough one to comment on because it, it's yeah. one of those types of questions where you know you'd almost want the person here to Mm -hmm. clarify the point or it feels mm -hmm. more like a real therapy question than kind of a general mm -hmm. uh, yeah. advice question because it really yeah. needs to I don't know it, it I understand the the concept though of uh, your desire being interfered with by knowing your partner's desire and that kind of messing with your experience a little bit um, but it's not clear how to how to work your way yeah. out of that. If you're in this position that this person seems to be in, it's not obvious well, what the next step well, would be. Well, I think the next step would be to figure out why do I struggle with that and what's going on in the relationship that I feel, you know, why do I feel like if I shared this, it would then get lost? What's the thing I can't hold on to for myself in the in the relationship if he were to know about it? And why is that? Is it about pressure from him or is it pressure from within myself that I don't give myself that permission to belong to parts of me? Um, so I think that is just to start figuring out what is happening and where is it falling apart? I mean, again, here's another part. And I, again, I, <laughs> I may not want you to put it in there because it's so, it's so different than how we think about this. And if I'm teaching a whole seminar, I can e explain it better than I can probably do on this podcast. But we really have this idea that our partner's sexuality belongs to us, or another way of saying it is that our sexuality should belong to our partner, not ourselves, that it gets legitimized, our sexuality, once we get married. And so that's why masturbation is so wrong in so many people's thinking is that in pre-marriage, it's you know encouraging feelings that may take you off the rails. And after marriage, it's sort of the idea of like, well, aren't you supposed to be bringing those feelings to your partner? Doesn't that, isn't that a kind of infidelity, right? Yeah. Isn't that a kind of cheating in a sense of, of having sexual feelings? And I, you know, I, I know and respect that a lot of people feel strongly about this, that you should never masturbate in a marriage and certainly shouldn't do it without somebody knowing. But um, I just don't think about it in that way. I, I think, you know, the issue is whether or not that behavior wouldn't be negatively impacting the spouse um, is it are you doing something within your relationship to yourself that actually is taking away from the marriage or the partnership 
um, in some way. You know, then, then I think, but another way of saying it is, are you doing something in the marriage that takes away from a peaceful relationship with yourself? I think the, there is this fundamental tension between wanting to belong to ourselves and belong to a spouse, and they both really matter. And so how we navigate belonging to our own sense of our sexuality without undermining the marriage in any way, as well as how do we belong to the marriage without undermining our sense of ourselves and our own integrity of self. And that's just fundamental to human relationships. And the more you can figure out how to be respectful of both this desire to belong to another and also ourselves, the happier you're going to be in your marriage. So it, that's not me saying, yes, you should masturbate and no, you shouldn't tell them. I, I'm, I'm just encouraging this person to think about it at a little bit higher level. Like, what is it? Where, where do we struggle around this? And what does it mean about how I should handle this information? Um, I think in the healthiest marriages, there really is a freedom to talk about anything because you know in talking about it, the other person won't try to infringe upon it or take it over. That, that, that is to say, they let you kind of belong to yourself uh, because they can sustain their sense of self comfortably enough to let you belong to yourself uh, while you're with them. Yeah, and, and sometimes we imagine the worst outcome of having that yes. kind of conversation of, you know, like she listed, what were those three things that he would want to be in on it, that it would kind of ruin her experience and something else yeah yeah um, and that's right that we may do. or may not be the case it might not turn out uh, to be yes. that bad well exactly and i think we're just afraid of the growth that it pressures upon us if we are more honest so a lot of times we resist the the way we're going to get pressured through honesty um, because it pressures us to deal with something that we often don't want to deal with and and not being open is a way of trying to safeguard against it. But it does undermine, ultimately, the growth of the marriage and the freedom in the marriage. And I think it's just a piece to think about in this. Okay, well, that's our third question. We got three questions for the listeners today. So a lot to think about. Very interesting. Jennifer and Laurel, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. We'll do it again and sometime in the future. I don't know when. Yeah. Um, Thank you. But we will definitely do it again.